What is up, ladies? This is Beth Berry. I'm your hostess for Fingertips on the Laces. See you this Friday and every Friday so we can get our game on. This is football by women for women. Oh, my goodness. Welcome back for another exciting episode of Fingertips on the Laces, where we talk to other women, we talk about football, we catch up on all the things. Raise your hand if you're already sad that the season's over. Okay, okay, I know you're sad, but there's plenty to look forward to. On today's Fingertips on the Laces, we're going to talk about what players do in the offseason. The weekly clipboard this week is what's in a number. Do you think it's random? Do you think when you're watching those guys on TV that it's just a random jersey number? It is not. We're going to talk about what goes into that. It's going to be great. And I'm going to recap one of the most exciting weeks I've had in football in my career. That is the NFL Combine in my hometown of Indianapolis, Indiana. I also attended a sports management worldwide business education event, rubbed elbows with all the who's who's. You know, Adam Schefter and I were like practically besties now. (sighs) Yeah, he'll probably be inviting me on ESPN any minute. So let's get started. What do you guys think the players are doing in the offseason? I I know you'll see on TV, oh, this guy just got back from Hawaii. This dude's over here hanging out with his kids. Some of the players had newborns at the end of the season there. And so, of course, they're excited to get to know their families again. So during the offseason, the NFL players, of course, take vacations, spend time with their families, pursue some hobbies, catch up on what's been falling falling behind. The offseason is the only extended time off that the NFL players get. So most of them, you know what, just like to chill and relax. That's what I'd be doing too. The NFL season has ended for everyone now. We had that great Super Bowl. Love, love, love me some Chiefs. But since the start of training camp, almost every day is scripted for an NFL player. Did you know that? Do you ever think about what they're doing every single day? So even in the off days that they have, they'll either get treatments or you might go to the weight room for some extra work. But you're really at the facility almost every day for five months. So the final days of the season all start the same. There's uh, you got to clean out your locker, just like you would imagine if you were a high school or college athlete. you got to go through a medical exam, and uh, this can set you up for some off-season work that might need done. You're going to have exit interviews with coaches. You're going to talk about what went well. <clears throat> uh, if the coach has been fired, and some of them were, They'll say their goodbyes and they're off. Uh, maybe you got a new coach coming in. We've got a new coach here in Indianapolis. We're excited to have him. But uh, we didn't have him before the season ended. But once you leave the facility on that last day, your obligation to the team is pretty much finished until you report in. But it's got to be a very odd feeling when you hang hang a left out of that facility and say, okay, I don't have to be back for a while. But what is so fun and so exciting is when you get to see the new players coming into the league. So I love me some NFL, but I am a game day Saturday girl. I watch Pat McAfee. Love me some Peyton Manning when he's on game day. And uh, I would say I cheered for Michigan this year. I liked Michigan a whole heck of a lot this year. And um, the funnest part for me when you're watching college is just to say, hmm, who are the superstars that are going to really make it to the Sunday? Who's a Sunday quarterback? Who do you think that's going to be? Um, 
And this year, the NFL Combine did not disappoint. I've been before, but I've never, like, uh, just hunkered down and gone and said, you know what, I am going to just hang out and watch all of the things and show up for all of the um all of the fun, and I did it this year. Got to see some kick-ass guys. They're going to be so good in the NFL. So let's see. What do you think are the biggest takeaways? Well, my town Indy needs a quarterback. So I was pretty much tuned into that, right? I want to know who we're going to get. Are we going to trade up, try to get Bryce Young? There was a lot of chat about Bryce Young and whether or not he can be a Sunday quarterback. Maybe he can execute, but is he big enough? Is he big enough to be the Sunday quarterback? Uh, That was the talk of the town, I got to tell you. Um, And I'm not sure. He's like uh, 5'10", buck 90. Uh, It's pretty small. Pretty small guy. Now, I was able to um, meet a really kick-ass woman named Deb Mueller. She's the sideline reporter for the Seattle Seahawks. And she pointed out to me that uh, a little guy that went to Purdue, Drew Brees, was also about that size. And he changed the game a bit. So will the Colts go after Bryce? Maybe. Uh, C.J. Stroud also discussed. Um, I don't know. I don't know if C.J. Stroud can do it. For many of the reasons that we talked about Bryce Young, um, were there enough big-time throws with him on film? Maybe he has shades of Patrick Mahomes, but it was also discussed that he had some hellacious receivers this year. So was that playing a big part of uh, why he looked so good? Maybe, maybe not. Um, it was fun to listen to them talk, right? And how about Jalen Carter? He's still probably the number two overall pick, uh, depending on what happens with some of his legal issues. God, you hate to see that. My mommy senses are all incredibly uh, tingly over that because you just don't want to see a guy with his kind of talent uh, get into trouble and, and for that to be a distraction. But We were listening to some scouts at our uh, sports management worldwide conference, and they said, you are bringing that person into the culture. And so the interviews that they do with those guys and the background checks, a gentleman named Patrick Yu, who's a scout for Tennessee Titans, he said, it is very, very extensive security checks, very extensive background checks before um, any offer is going to be extended to them. So... Um, it's not just what you see on Combine Day. The other aspect of Combine that was brought up are these guys that put on like 20 pounds. They bulk up before they get there. God, that would be a fun exercise. I've never in my life needed to gain weight. Well, maybe when I was pregnant, but uh, just to see them come in as big as they are. But don't forget, they still got to uh, see how fast they are. Those were fun to watch the uh, 40-yard dash and see who was doing well at that. And just to see the guys that you watch every week on TV, the way Indianapolis sets it up, it's free to attend the event, and you really have close-up access to see these guys hard at work. So I think we'll know in uh, before we get to the draft kind of where some of these big players are headed. Adam Schefter, my hero from ESPN, he spoke to us at the conference, and he was saying, you know, the next – the entire month of March leading up to uh, the NFL draft in Kansas City the end of April, which I will be attending, you're, there's so many ins and outs. So are 
teams going to trade up? Do they need that overall first round pick? Just like Indianapolis, they could go for a CJ Stroud and probably not have to trade up. But is it worth trading up to get the Bryce Young compared to the CJ Stroud? And you look back over history, uh, the analytics part of listening to some of these scouts and some of the data analysts, what goes into the draft and how do you predict which of those quarterbacks are going to be the best at being Sunday ready? And then the ones that have been a bust, right? The ones that you just knew were going to do so well. And then, uh, you know, how do you look overlook a guy like Tom Brady who was picked, I don't know, in the 12th round the year that he got picked? And, of course, back then the data analysis wasn't as robust as it is these days. But it's. I think they've certainly become more refined just like the, the rest of the world. Data is everything. And so those scouts are working with the GMs and the owners of teams and the salary cap to triangulate what is our very best position for where we have vacancies. The Indianapolis Colts, I've been able to watch that since the day they moved to Indianapolis. The Peyton Manning years were very, very good to us. Even his first year, which wasn't stellar, but as you see these bright young quarterbacks come in, the energy that they bring to the team, the energy that they bring to the city, um, and then, of course, you got to have some W's behind that as well. But this city and has not been the same since Peyton uh, left and was not our quarterback. You try to get started again with a guy like Andrew Luck, and um, some of it's obviously injury. That's one of the worrisome uh, contributing factors for Bryce Young. Is he a guy that's um, actually not going to be as great a pick because he's smaller. Uh, Jim Mueller also pointed out to me that it's um, it's this matrix of how you fit in all of the different variables. Um, so do you want the guy that is tall because then he can see over um, and maybe sustain some of the hits that you know he's invariably going to take, uh, but there is something to coordinating how tall's the line, how big's the line. If we get Bryce Young, what's the size of guys that have to be out there to protect him? But I am going to be so excited once the rosters are set and we can start thinking about next year and training camp. But Adam Schefter was saying, in fact, while he was talking to us, he's like, um, I know I'm the speaker here, but I'm watching because I want to know uh, what Aaron Rodgers is going to do here in the next few minutes, which we still don't know what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. Is he going to play? But then, you know, there's a, a cascading effect to those types of decisions. What is, what's Green Bay going to do? Um, who would take Aaron Rodgers in his senior years for a couple good years? Would it be like Tom Brady going to the Buccaneers, what are the team? who are those teams that just need one phenomenal quarterback? Maybe it's the 49ers to have, get a Super Bowl ring. So it all fits together so uniquely, and I am glued to the edge of my seat for it. Had a blast at the Combine. You know what I thought we would talk about on the weekly clipboard this week? Because I've always wondered this myself. I've always wanted to know what are those jersey numbers about? And maybe if you've watched football as long as I have, you've figured out, oh yeah, the quarterbacks, they wear the lower numbers. The defensive guys, they've they've got those higher numbers. But um, there is actually a lot that goes into this. So the NFL has actual guidelines about um, what the current system is for the number range. 
whether or not you can retire numbers, um, there's tons that go into this. So I just thought on the weekly clipboard this week, that's what we tune into. What is in a number? So there's 10 unwritten rules for not screwing up your NFL jersey number. So let's say these guys uh, leave the draft. They know which teams they're going to, and they are negotiating with the team on what their number is going to be. Well, let's say you walk in and you're the backup quarterback and Tom Brady's already number 12 and you've been number 12 throughout your illustrious college career. You ain't getting number 12. That's the way that's going to work. I can tell you that. But I thought we'd dig into it today. So in 2021, the NFL owners passed a rule expanding available numbers and simplifying the numbering system. So before that, it was even more complex. The current system now only has three different number groups for offense, three for defense. The changes included the addition of numbers 1 to 19 and 80 to 89 for running backs, 1 to 9 and 20 to 49 for wide receivers, and numbers 1 to 49 for tight ends and linebackers, and 1 to 19 for defensive backs. Don't listen to anyone who says the film, the stats, and the player tracking data are the keys to evaluating football. I mean, of course those things matter, but they take a backseat to one aspect of the NFL that reigns above all others, jersey numbers. Of course, smart statisticians have looked at this a million different ways. A bad jersey number can ruin your career before you get started. For instance, no one's going to take the camp tryout running back wearing number 47 seriously. I mean, he lost before he ever made it to the field. Now, if he can grab a 27, he can catch the eye of the coach. This is actually true. There's some psychology to this. So the NFL legislates those numbers. It's under rule number five, section one, article two. I'll repeat that for you. Rule 5, Section 1, Article 2, and the NFL Rulebook. You can get that at NFL.com. But the players still have enough choices to pick the right numbers. And since jersey numbers are so vital to a player's success, let's piece together the 10 commandments of NFL jerseys. Number 1, 46 is not acceptable defensive back number at all. It should be self-explanatory, but someone forgot to tell Detroit Lions rookie cornerback Amani Aruaye. The fifth-round pick is currently wearing number 46. For the sake of his future, he needs to change it. Number two, steer clear of all the 60s if you're a defensive lineman. Defensive linemen are supposed to be the sleeker, faster version of offensive linemen. Did you know that? That's right. There's no series of numbers that weighs down players more than the 60s. If I, It's like me buying jeans. I'm not wearing those. Think about it. When was the last time you saw a game-wrecking defensive lineman wearing number 64? You have not. The most recent to put together a decent season was Kerry Hyder, who somehow managed to rack up eight sacks with the Lions while repping number 61. I don't know. I think it's bad. Rule number three, contrary to what traditionalists say, 10s are better than 80s for receivers. The teens. Teens are better than 80s for receivers. Receivers rocking numbers in the 80s used to be the trend. My buddy, Jerry Rice, love him. Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, they all fell into that group, but it's not as common today. 
Now the best wide receivers are straying away from the 80s toward jerseys in the teens. Nine of the top 10 wide receivers in 2022 had a jersey number from 10 to 19. Julio Jones, Juju Smith-Schuster, Mike Evans, DeAndre Hopkins. The only one who didn't was Antonio Brown. There's correlation here, people. Since 2014, there have been 22 wide receivers drafted in the first round only. Only three of them, Amari Cooper, Corey Davis, and Mike Williams, have opted for jerseys in the 80s. It's also worth noting Cooper switched to number 19 after he was traded to Dallas, where he's been lights out. Linebackers can only wear jersey numbers in the 40s if they are fast enough. Did you get that? So linebackers only wear in 40s if they're fast enough. In the past few years, quite a few rookie linebackers have been picking numbers in the 40s instead of the 50s as they enter the league. Jared Davis, Deion Jones, Devin White, and Patrick Anwasar are all recent examples. While it doesn't fit for every linebacker, it works for them because they're capable of making explosive plays all over the field. Linebackers wearing 40 need to be fast. It doesn't make sense on a lumbering run stopper. The one exception, 46. We already covered that. Rule number five, running backs should avoid the number 39. Sure, Steve Jackson and Willie Parker were great players, but they had to overcome the number 39, which just screams plodding, slow running back. Just look how bulky this jersey appears with a big three and a big nine. It's just an ugly number. You don't want it. Rule number six, there's no such thing as a bad jersey number in the 90s. Okay, did you hear that? Nope, 90 to 99, they're all money, especially for defensive linemen and linebackers rushing off the edge like DeMarcus Ware or TJ Watt. Linebackers who play off the ball can make it work too, but the player has to be a complete, absolute badass. Think about Jamie Collins. Jamie Collins, he was a badass. Number seven, all the numbers in the 20s are good money too. Whether it's running back or defensive back, players can never go wrong picking a number in the 20s. There's something about the aesthetic value of the two that goes well with every other digit. It's my new favorite number. Unlike 46 or 39, numbers that start with a two make players appear more lightweight and faster. Okay, that's my jersey number. I want to be lightweight and fast. Giants rookie cornerback DeAndre Baker initially started off with 35, but quickly changed to 27 by the end of rookie minicamp. He's going to be way better off with that in his career. Just about every quarterback number is good except for eight. Remind me of a quarterback who was good with number eight. Um, Let's see, maybe Steve Young. Name one quarterback since Steve Young. Uh, with any kind of swagger? No. Trent Dilfer? Mm, Sam Bradford? Mm, Kirk Cousins? Uh, it's impossible. Just don't even try. Go ahead and Google it. You're not going to find me one. <sighs> number nine. 50 to 55 is the sweet spot for jersey numbers in the 50s. So if you're going with a five, you want to be 50 to 55. Every number between 50 and 55 looks good, whether it's a beast middle linebacker, an explosive edge rusher, or that stalwart center. Number 52 is the peak of this jersey number range. Think Ray Lewis. He rocked 52 
all the way to the Hall of Fame. Khalil Mack, another player who wears 52, well on his way if he stays healthy. Truth be told, any jersey number can be great if the player wearing it is great. So this is rule number 10. Rules 1 through 9 are statistics. But, okay, let's talk about Alvin Kamara. He took flack for going with 41 when he got into the league. It's not really a number that fits an elusive slashing running back. Usually bulldozing fullbacks like Lorenzo Neal are the offensive player who wear number 41. But now it's hard to imagine anything else on him. He's awesome, and the number became awesome right along with him. At the end of the day, you can make the jersey cool if the player wearing it is cool. Except for 46. I'm telling you, you don't want to go with 46. It's just, it's not going to happen. So, um, let's talk about the current system. This is exactly it. Numbers 1 to 19 can be worn by quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, linebackers, defensive backs, kickers, or punters. That's 1 to 19. 90 to 99 you got your defensive line, and you've got your linebackers. You can go online and see all of the breakdown of those numbers. What's your favorite number? Mine? 16. Joe Montana, baby. I loved him. Loved him. And let's talk about when the numbers get really, really good, and uh, they're going to retire him. You think that's easy to do? It's not easy to do. The NFL really frowns upon this. So team owners have still done it. Um. You can go online and also see all of the retired numbers here on Wikipedia. It's the list of all the NFL retired numbers. Um, I think almost all NFL teams have retired some numbers in honor of the team's best players. But generally, when a number is retired, future players for the team can't wear it at all. Sometimes those uh, they've gone back on those. The NFL officially discourages it but does not prevent the teams from retiring numbers as the limited number of uniform numbers available for each position can be depleted. Some teams will hold official number retirement ceremonies. I recall that with Joe Montana. I recall it with my boy Peyton Manning. Just can't stand it. For example, in 2023, the Steelers retired number 32 for running back Franco Harris. Um... And some teams will honor players in other ways, but not actually retire the number. What about numbers 0 and 00? They're no longer used, though they were issued in the NFL before the number standardization. Quarterback Johnny Clement, running back Johnny Oslesky, and safety Obert Logan were all single zero jersey in the NFL. I do see it in Pop Warner occasionally in the high school, uh, but not anymore. So that is all the scoop on numbers. What else have you been dying to know about the NFL? We're going to talk about it here on Fingertips on the Laces. I have some kick-ass guests coming up. I met all of the people. Lynn Lashbrook, amazing gentleman. Go ahead and Google him. He founded Sports Management Worldwide. It is online classes for every career, not just in football, but in professional sports. You want to be a scout. You want to work in the front office. You want to know more about data analytics. And he has actual practitioners there. NFL greats helping him teach these. And so we're going to be bringing you more from sports management worldwide. Even if you're just casually interested in participating in the sport, it is a tremendous return on your investment. And um, 
I absolutely loved getting to know those guys. And I'm here, B. Barry, at the Pink Pigskin. That's my email address, bberry at the Pink Pigskin. If you've got any great ideas for upcoming weekly clipboards, and I can't wait to bring you my next guest. What is up, ladies? This is Beth Berry. I'm your hostess for Pink Tips on the Laces. See you this Friday and every Friday so we can get our game on. This is football. 